Before we get started with our podcast episode today, I want to take a minute to tell you about a special event and how you can be a part of it. Tove for Women is a one-day event sponsored by Northern Seminary featuring Dr. Lisa Bowens, Vivian Mabuni, and Dr. Scott McKnight that aims to bring goodness, or Tove, into our churches, ministries, and everyday lives. Based on Dr. Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger's book, A Church Called Tove, Tove for Women 2022 takes the conversation a step further by encouraging and empowering us to create cultures characterized by goodness. We are thrilled to offer a diverse slate of voices from across the country and from a variety of backgrounds at this event. This will happen Friday, October 21st in Chicagoland from 9 to 3.30 p.m. Central Time. Um, It's also going to happen in person and over live stream. If you're coming in person, it's going to be at the Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church. And for more information and to register, go to events at cwlnorthern.com. And again, that website is cwlnorthern.com. And just a heads up, if you are at a church and you or you have a group of friends that might want to watch this together, there is a way to register for a sort of watch party. So if you have three or more people who want to watch together, there is a way that you can sign up and register to do that as a group. So consider that. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today on the podcast, we are bringing you a rebroadcast from last year's Toe for Women event. This audio that you're going to hear is Scott McKnight and his daughter, Laura Berenger, talking about their book, A Church Called Tove. They do a beautiful job explaining toxicity in church cultures and also how to respond to that toxicity and how to create cultures of goodness or cultures of tove. I like to be outnumbered like this. It's rare. So I'll try to hold my own by those who are trying to own us. That was a quotation from Brett, uh, no, from um, Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. So I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) Lynn is my boss, so I have to submit. Uh, I would like to begin just saying a little bit about what Tove means. Uh, We had uh, Dickens of a time convincing our publisher that we could use a Hebrew word in the title. So after he fought us a while, I just said to him, just start using the word in your office and see what happens. And then he never did resist it again. It became (laughs) common at Tyndale Press. Uh, The word means good or goodness, tov. Uh, Some people pronounce it tav. Uh, They have a Yiddish, European background. But uh, the... Normal translation or uh, pronunciation is tov. In the Bible, God is tov. Everything God does is tov. So we've been singing about this uh, this morning. Everything God creates is tov. And that word tov shows up frequently in Genesis chapter 1. And when it's all done, it's tov ma'od. Very good. And so uh, God creates all that's tov. He designs humans to flourish by learning to walk in Tov. We walk in the way of Tov by doing what God has designed us to do and be. 
Jesus calls us to tov works frequently. Now, of course, he doesn't use the word tov because we translate it into English. But when he spoke in Aramaic or in Hebrew, he would have used the word tov frequently. And notice that when Paul, who also was an Aramaic speaker, according to Acts chapter 21, when he speaks in the temple, um, that he spoke in Aramaic, Paul would have spoken the word tov when he said the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Tov. Peter loves this word tov and expects all the Christians in his churches in northern Turkey, north, northwest Turkey, to be practicing works of tov in the public sector. And here's the clincher. We use the word gospel, but in Hebrew or Aramaic, the word tov would have been connected to it. Good news. In Greek, evangelion, el, you, is actually a translation of the Hebrew word tov. So the gospel itself is a message about tov. And that Tove's name is Jesus. So my, I'm, uh, I'm used to handing the microphone off to Laura, who usually steals it from me. <laughs> and she pestered me to write this book. So now she's captured my life here. And so I'm going to hand it off to Laura to tell us a little bit about our journey, I guess. Huh? Sure. I grew up in an egalitarian home. Um, many of you, all of you probably know my father. He is a world-renowned theologian and speaker, pastor, author, a champion for women leaders in the church. My mom, who is here today, is also a professional. She's a doctor of psychology. So this is the world that I was raised in, where women joyfully worked outside of the home and what they were gifted and called to do, and men supported them and spoke publicly in favor. It was not until I was, I believe, a freshman or sophomore at Wheaton College when my classmates were all abuzz about a speaker coming to campus by the name of John Piper. And I remember picking up the phone and calling my dad and saying, who is John Piper? I can just imagine how you answer. Um, but these were not I said, I have never heard of him. <laughs> So these were not Grudem, Piper, these were not household names in the home where I grew up. We talked about Ruth Tucker, and we talked about a family friend named Cheryl Hatch, who went to seminary as one of my dad's students at, at Trinity Seminary here in Deerfield, and she wanted to be a pastor and was never able to get a job because she was a woman. She was ahead of her time. So this is the world in which I was raised where, like I said, women joyfully used their gifts and men supported them. And I have a very distinct memory of being in high school, and it was my turn to host our small group at our house. And I remember my small group leader saying, I don't remember the context, or I must have made some comment, because she said to me, well, Laura, we don't believe women should be pastors. We believe that's a gift given only to men. And her husband happened to be one of my dad's colleagues, her, no, it was her husband, my leader's husband. <laughs> See, I have to tell him. Um, her husband happened to also be a professor and pastor, a well-known theologian himself. And I went back and told my parents what she had said. And, you know, they said, well, that's not what we believe. We believe women can be pastors. And so I went back to my friend and told her our parents' theological differences. And shortly thereafter, I did not have a friend anymore. It 
pretty much dissolved. So that was my, other than learning about who John Piper was in college, um, that was really my first experience understanding that this difference, the tension, I didn't have the language at the time, but the tension between complementarian and egalitarian. Um, fast forward the tape to present day, and we publish a church called Tove, and my dad and I start getting letters from how many? We've gotten a lot of letters. We probably were getting multiple letters a week from men and women. For me, I mostly get letters from women who have been the victims of power abuse in churches and Christian organizations. So the details differ, but there's a common theme that it's a male, sadly to say male, typically in power, in authority, and there's a woman working for him, and she becomes a victim of abuse in some way and mistreatment, whether it's because of she tried to speak up or um, she wasn't conforming to the system. But this theme has been present in these letters that we've gotten over the year, over the last year. And so I feel like I've lived in this tension with how I grew up and how I was raised and these stories that I'm hearing. And um, I'm going to turn it over to you now to talk more, but I want to. Okay. Do, yeah. um, I can't see the clock. I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> why, why does Tove matter for women? Let me, let me just say it boldly and directly and clearly because it's true, but there are nuances that need to be left aside for the moment. Cultures in churches and organizations, Christian organizations, have been mostly created by men, and many of those cultures are toxic, hierarchical, and power-driven. Right? That's true. Uh, almost all of them have been created by men because that's the cultures that we have. And that's the letters that we're getting are from women that are wounded within these systems. Take Amy Bird, who is in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Today she posted on her blog a letter that she has left the Orthodox Presbyterian Church because of the General Assembly and because the way she has been mistreated, and uh, that's a kind word for it. If I were Lutheran, I'd use stronger terms. <laughs> but my bosses are here, so I have to behave. <laughs> she has left the denomination after two years of pleading with them just to do things right, and they won't do it. We're glad for her. The, uh, there's a new, there's a church planting organization with the initials ARC run by males, um, noticeably deficient and unchristian in the amount of abuse that has occurred to women and the way they have treated women and the way they have protected males who've mistreated women. Roman Catholic priests have a history and a heritage, so much so that many of us, every time we see a Catholic priest, we wonder. All right, we do. Because of the way they have, they have participated in pedophilia, the way they have abused boys, the way they have abused girls. And they have an organization and a culture that has protected abusive males for centuries, created by males. Southern Baptist Convention's autonomy of the local church 
has created the opportunity for males to protect themselves and other males in the abuse of women and keep everything inside justified, sometimes by appealing to 1 Corinthians 6 or to Matthew chapter 18. Don't get me started. <laughs> women are nearly always and have nearly always been excluded from the systemic powers that determine the culture of these organizations and churches. That's why we need Tove for women. We need it because of systemic powers that have abused women for centuries, and there is a, uh, a fresh arising, as it were, is that a fair word, of women who have, you know, they said, we've had enough, and it's time to make some changes. Uh, I'm encouraged by that, though I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm quite discouraged by the the resurgence of complementarianism among some people, and uh, we could say more things about that, and we will as time goes on. If women participate more in culture formation, cultures would change. I believe this. Yeah. Right? I don't think women are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but I have participated in groups where women were at the platform and women were in the behind closed doors that have a different culture than when they're just male-dominated cultures. And so I, I, I believe in the sharing of power, and we're talking about women, but I understand that this is also about, this is about ethnic, this is about racial, this is all kinds of diversity that needs to be at the table. And when the powers are shared, things can change. Women are known more, I read this in a woman this week, an excellent book on leadership. Women are known more for connection-shaped cultures. That's a different culture than men normally create. And women are also known more for collaboration-shaped cultures. Now just imagine if churches that currently exist shifted and were transformed toward more connection of people in the church and more collaboration there would be a different culture created in churches, and that's what I think we're striving for. Um, I know Lynn is in her organization as well. Now, I'm limited in time, so I'm going quickly over some things, but this is, this is important to me now, and Laura and I are writing another book because people keep asking us the same question, what can we do to transform our church culture from toxic to tove? So um, I want to bring out one part of that of that, and it's about power. Everything is related to power in churches, and I personally believe that complementarianism is actually a legitimation, that's a technical word in sociology, an ideological legitimation of power by men, and they use it, they use scripture to justify it, all right? I know they can find their verses, so can we, all right? And, and it's when when one group uses only one set of verses and ignores the fact that Junie is apostle, Phoebe's a deacon, and she's traveling around, yes, reading probably Romans to the, how many house churches, at least five, in, in, and none of you have read Romans aloud ever, and she read it at least five times in that first century, and not only that, she had to answer questions. So she became not only the first reader, the lector, she became the first commentator on Romans, so Augustine can learn to learn from Phoebe, who explained <laughs> it all. 
But I believe that it is a justification of power. So five kinds of power, and only three of them are genuinely Christian. There is power over. These are all prepositions. You know I'm a professor, so I like prepositions. Power over is about domination. Power to is about coercion through influence. These are non-Christian forms of power because Jesus created a revolution of power. He turned power upside down. The Lion of Judah became the Lamb who was slain. And that is a reversal of power. Third, there's power with. This is the sharing of power. People who have power don't want to share power, so they go to complementarian texts that teach that there is men who have the power and authority and women don't. Because if they share the power, then they lose some power. And losing power is exactly what Jesus taught. Divesting himself of power, he taught his disciples what genuine power was about. Power with, power for. Jesus said to his disciples who wanted power over, like the Romans, in Mark 10, 35 to 45, this is not the way it will be among us. That's the way it is among the pagan rulers, the Gentiles, the Romans. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So he used his power for the sake of others, not for aggrandizement of his own power. For his own glory, he shared his power and used his power for others. Now the last one, which I think is the most powerful form of Christian power that we can uh, uh, operate, is power through. And that is when we have power and we give it to someone else. When men share the platform with women, it's power with. When they sit in the congregation, it's power through. And I learned this a long time ago in a negative way. When I was a young professor, I was speaking on, at Trinity, where one of those professors was. We'll, we'll use his name in undercover. Okay. Um, I was speaking on behalf of women when a feminist student in my class came up to me and said, we don't need you talking for us. We need to talk for ourselves. And so I shut up. And then I learned after about a decade that that's the one thing men cannot do. Men have to, to open the platform to women and move off the platform so women can have the platform. And until that happens, we're not going to experience true Christian power of divesting ourselves of power for the sake of others so that we can use our power uh, and let it go through us into other people. So we need more men um, to share their power and to move off the stage right now. I'm going on, but Laura's going to be in here very quickly here. You're going to have to turn on your thing. Here. <laughs> Toxic cultures are notoriously unsafe for women. These cultures are invisible to women, to men. They are notoriously unsafe for women and invisible to men, and they are always visible to women. So what is toxic cultures? 
This is where our journey began, actually. Our journey started with the unfolding of the Willow Creek story and abuses that had occurred there. And then the story got larger as we began investigating, and I shouldn't say investigating, the stories were right out there or they would come to us through letters, um, stories of toxicity. And we started to notice patterns within the Christian organization or churches. And so we mapped them in what we called the circle of Tove. So we'll get to the Tove part momentarily. But in order to talk about the Tove part, you have to recognize the toxicities that exist within it. So we started by um, one element of a toxic culture is that it is narcissistic, whether there's a narcissistic leader, um, where that becomes a narcissistic culture. Somebody used the term with us last week, narcissistic um, institutional nar narcissism. And that I thought was really fascinating is that it starts infiltrating all of the people and the workers within it. Did I say enough about that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, another element that we mapped out. We could out, go on and on and on about that. I feel like each of these could be an hour discussion in themselves. Resist, another part of a toxic culture is fear. So we started to notice that people who were resisting the culture felt afraid to do so. They were afraid to speak up. They were afraid to ask questions. They were afraid to lose their job. But fear was operating and very active within the culture. Institution, and I'm, I know I'm going fast, so interrupt me if I need, if I need to slow down. Um, we also noticed with these organizations that the institution was put above people. So it, it seemed more important to protect the church or the Christian organization's reputation versus putting the people first. There was a lot of loyalty, demands for loyalty. Um, I could go on about that one too, but it was we call it institution creep, where it became more important than the people in the church or the wounded within it. Resisting false narratives, this is another big, this is the heart of our book. Um, we'll talk momentarily about the Tove, um, the goodness part of it, but to create a Tove culture, we believe that the truth needs to be told. And what we found within the toxic organizations is that there's all sorts of false narratives that come out of the organization rather than the truth being told, where it gets twisted, so there's parts of it that sound kind of good, but really what they're doing is protecting the organization so that the truth is not told. Um, Next, loyalty culture. I touched on that a little bit, but within a toxic culture, oftentimes you'll find extreme pressure to be loyal, to be loyal to whether it's the leader or the organization. People who are not fear losing their job or they're cut off from the community. That's very um, active within the toxic culture as well. We also talked a lot about resisting the celebrity culture. So... We saw a lot of this in the churches that we read about where there was a leader that was sort of treated like a celebrity. So I'm thinking of churches right now. And they became famous. The pastors, we, you know, they became household names. And um, we found that that can be really toxic because they're treated like they're more important than everybody else. They're more important than the congregants, and there becomes this excitement to get close to them. And the more, the closer you get to the inner circle, the more important you feel. 
And then finally, and my dad has a lot to say about this, but we found within toxic cultures that there is this heavy emphasis on leadership. And everything I learned about this, I learned from you. But we learned that the Bible does not teach that the pastor is a leader. The pastor is a pastor. And there's become this overemphasis in churches on leadership and the leadership gift and how the pastor is a leader. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that's the, that's the toxic part of our circle of Tove. And, and my beef, I, I understand that pastors lead, but the language and the category and the uh, trope, as it were, was adopted from the business world of hierarchy and patriarchy. And it's okay if you're a leader, but what does, um, what does Jesus teach us to be? Followers. So I've been asked at times to, to write something small on leadership, and I always submit something on followership. And, <laughs> and they asked me why, why I did that. I said, point made. We don't understand it that way. And, and that's the kind of good leader that we're talking about. So um, Laura has gone over these categories, and I'm glad to hear her explanations of them because sometimes I'm the one who's, who's talking about this. But um, Tove cultures are safe for women. We need, we need more Tove cultures, more cultures shaped by goodness. And so in the, this is how this book actually unfolded. I mean, we, we started with the false narratives. That was the first section that we actually wrote. But we recognized toxicities in these. We saw these patterns. And I was always saying, now, what is the Christian alternative to this? So we flipped it. So the categories we use in Tove are flipping the script of toxicities. We didn't go with the fruit of the Spirit, which, which would have been cute. And we didn't go with the list of love in 1 Corinthians 13, which would have been nice. Um, but it gets a little uniform. But we flipped, uh, and we got a fresh set of categories, we think, from this. So, Laura, what are, what are the characteristics of Tove? Okay, so we believe that in order for a church or a Christian organization to be a safe place for women, they need to have the alternatives to toxicities. They need to have these elements of Tove. So we flipped the narcissistic culture and we thought, okay, what's the opposite? Well, you thought. Well, I mean, you're the thinker. Oh, the psychologist probably helped us she, with this She one. told us what the... Thought, <laughs> what's the opposite of narcissism? Well, it's empathy. And in order for churches to be a safe place for women to use their gifts, they need to be cultures of empathy. We, uh, do you want to say more about that? Yeah, I'd like to say a lot because okay. there's a, it's unbelievable <laughs> to me of what's going on in the, at Bethlehem, whatever it's called, Piper's Church and the school there that has institutionalized anti-empathy. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what in the world has happened that empathy is, I mean, can you really read the Gospels and not see an empathetic Jesus? If you can, then go for it, but we're going to fight you. Okay. To resist a fear culture, to create a safe space for women would be grace, that a safe space is a place that nurtures grace. It's okay to make mistakes, right? Um, I don't really want to say more about that. Okay. So then resisting institute, the institutional creep culture would mean always putting people first. 
what does it look like when a woman brings an accusation or an allegation about a leader? Does it look like protecting the church at all costs and protecting the reputation? No, it looks like let's hear your story and care for you. That's what it looks like to put people first. And that's a really, in my opinion, a really important part of creating a safe culture. Telling the truth. So we saw over and over again false narratives. Um, I love your piece about Yom. I think you should talk about Yom Kippur. I love that part of the book. That might, okay. okay. Uh, Yom Kippur is the Hebrew uh, for the Day of Atonement. And every year, this think about this. Every year, Jews gather together and confess their sins. All right? And they did this for days. And, you know, we have Lent, which is supposed to do that in the Christian church. But there's a lot of church cultures that do not ever confess their sins. When you grow up in a Yom Kippur culture, you don't ever wonder, am I a sinner? You know you are. I mean, why go to Yom Kippur if you can't participate? And that's what Lent is supposed to do. But a lot of Christian cultures resist telling the truth enough to confess our sins. So that's why we think a Yom Kippur culture is healthy. Yeah, I love the story. Um, my dad, we talked about this with the unfolding of the Willow Creek story. There happened to be, so Bill Hybels was the pastor of Willow Creek, and there was a stone inside the church about um, the dedication of the church. And there were a number of people that say, we need to get rid of that. It's, it's a horrible reminder. And I remember my dad saying, no, 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 you leave that there. And every time you walk by it, you remember and you confess your sin and you remember the history. It's a Yom Kippur moment. So telling the truth is the heart and the center of our book, The Circle of Tov, and... Um, I think it's a really important one. All right, so resisting the loyalty culture would be nurturing justice. Justice in our definition means doing the right thing at the right time, and doing that would create a safe place for women. Resisting the celebrity culture means nurturing service, and hmm, why don't you say more about that? Uh, doing the right thing at the right time is difficult. Right. It's right. hard at times. You see it and you say, I think Wade Mullen said this, something's not right. But it takes a year before you do something right. In that year, toxicity has grown and flourished. And so what we really need are the people who see the difficult moment and react immediately with insight into the toxicity. And so doing justice is doing the right thing at the right time. A lot of times, we don't do the right thing at the right time. And so justice is delayed. Eventually, it can be done. And sometimes the delay is, um, creates a situation where you do the right thing and it really no longer matters, but you've done the right thing. So we really believe that. On service, um, I think that one of the greatest things to dethrone celebrity pastors and celebrity leaders is for them to be involved in service that nobody knows about. You can't get up on the platform and tell your stories about working with the homeless and have everybody clapping for you and think that you're doing service. Now you're getting credit for it. Instead, do it and shut up and just do it. All right? And that would, um, it, it humiliates in some ways because they no longer get glory and credit for it. 
And our last and one. Final, uh, yeah, yeah, finally. So our last toxic part of the circle of Tove was resisting the leader culture. And so what would that look like? That would be nurturing Christ-likeness, which is the final and perhaps most important part, is if we are living like Christ and following Christ, then we are creating safe places for men and women within churches and Christian organizations. So this is the heart of our book, was the mapping of toxicity and the mapping of Tove. We had a good editor who who pushed more toxicity up front so that the Tove uh, was more in the back so that it felt redemptive. Um, I'm a professor, so I wanted to have every chapter balanced. And he said, no, that's not what's going to happen. So it didn't happen. <clears throat> but we won on Tove. So that's, that's... What can we do? I want to suggest four things that we can do to make a difference. First, we need more men who will open their platforms for women. We need more of this. Second, this is a tough one. We need more women who will not play the game of power in male cultures or power cultures. And there, well, here we go. All right. I'm running out of time. The, the point is this. For women to cooperate in toxic church cultures that exist because men have created them, they have to play the game of deference. Because women can be fearful. They, can be, uh, they create fear on the part of men. So we need women who can say, um, that was mansplaining. I heard that from my dean. But it wasn't to me, I'm happy to say. <laughs> that sent a message to everyone in the room that she was not going to put up with that stuff. We need women who can see that and say it. Now, sometimes they'll lose their job. But we need women who will not play the game of deference because, yes, we now have a tokenized woman on the platform doesn't make it an egalitarian culture. It's sharing power, and it's very difficult to have. All right, third, we need more examples of power-sharing Tove cultures in churches that we can copy. We need to see this in life, where churches, organizations actually have shared power, where women and men are sharing power, and we see it as a model, and we watch what happens. I'm very proud of Northern Seminary on this account. All right, we have a, a, a white male president. Okay, that's pretty typical. All right, and we have a woman dean, and Lynn is a strong leader. She's not afraid to tell you what she thinks, and we need that. This is a role model that women in our school and in our classes see something there embodied in ways that they don't see in other places. We need, we need more of that. Finally, we need more women leaders who can become role models for the next generation of women leaders. You know, we want, we want to see people like Ingrid Farrell. We want to see people like Carrie Latticer. You know, we want to see people like Tracy Bianchi. I'm moving my microphone. We, we want to see these people because women see them and they go, I can do that. There are so many girls who grow up in churches 
who don't even know that this is a possibility. And then they see the woman who's doing it and they go, that's me someday. I'm done. <laughs> that's called an Anglican completion. <laughs> We look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thanks, everybody.